Подача Остин! Все-таки Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markson and I'm the host of the show and I'd like to thank you for making the show part of your day. If you haven't done so yet, please connect with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at SFCDELL underscore IVERY or at Facebook.com forward slash SFCDELIVERY. There's no underscore in the Facebook address. And uh, getting in touch with us at either of those places, uh, we really appreciate it. We'll take any feedback that you do have. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our feed in iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever else that you get your podcasts. Um, and if you haven't found a good way to listen to the show yet, if you haven't found a way that works for you, um, but you're a SoundCloud user, now the show is on SoundCloud. So the link to that is in the show notes. Um, and you can subscribe to the feed there in SoundCloud uh, to make sure that you don't miss an episode. And it'll have the newest two or three episodes there. Uh, it won't have the full archive, but that's always on the website. And also, uh, you can listen now on YouTube. And so every episode will be on YouTube from episode 30, which is this one on, and it'll just be a static image with the audio playing in the background. So if either of those work for you, go ahead and subscribe and make sure that you do not miss an episode. We spoke briefly about social media because we do that at the top of every show because that's the easiest way to, to get in touch and interact with the show. Um, but it takes on a, a bit of a new meaning this week because we're going to talk with Ben Hernandez Stroud. Uh, he's the owner and writer of the Archers Road End blog. And we'll talk about his history with the club. We'll talk about the blog. We'll talk about uh, the questions surrounding the Southampton's ownership and the possible sale of the club. Uh, our current transfer window, VVD. Uh, and we'll look at the match against St. Etienne as well. Um, but Ben works in social media. He, he works uh, with that stuff. So we, we do talk a bit about that. And it was, a, it was a good chat. And I really, really enjoyed it. And the links to all of Ben's social media stuff, both Twitter, Facebook, and the website are all in the show notes. So please be sure to check them out. And right before we get into the conversation with Ben, at one point, we do use a, a curse word. It's not a, it's, I, don't, I don't know if there's any curse word that's better or worse or whatever. So if you're listening with, uh, with, with, with young children, uh, maybe, maybe not, maybe, maybe wait until it's just you. And, um, there's also a bit of a hum, uh, or some reverb, uh, when Ben talks at, at points and I didn't hear it when we were recording, I did my best to remove it, but it is still there. So hopefully it doesn't detract from the conversation that we have. So, uh, all that being said, let's go ahead and get straight into the, the interview. And once again, this is Ben Hernandez Stroud. He runs the Archers Road End blog and, uh, hope you enjoy the chat. So we'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all the SFC fans, Ben Hernandez-Stroud, uh, the owner and writer for the Archers Road End blog. Uh, you can find that on Twitter at Archers Road End, and we'll also put the link to the blog in the show notes. So Ben, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Hey Matthew, thanks for having me. Oh, no, no problem at all. We'll get to your writing and we'll get to uh, some other topics, including ownership and, and the transfer window and all that stuff. Uh, in a little bit, but let's start with just, you know, how you became a Saints fan and, and where you're from. So where where do you live currently? Where are you right now? Uh, I currently live uh, in a enemy territory in Tottenham in London. And uh, I've lived in London for about uh, on, on and off since about 2004. But I was born in Southampton, very close to where St. Mary's is now. 
just across the Itchen Bridge in a place called Walston. And my family history with regards to the club is is that, you know, I grew up, my, my, my dad supported the club, my great uncle Bill Stroud used to play for the club and he, he made 29 appearances for them, uh, playing in an old position now, which is called halfback. But he scored uh, four goals and uh, officially only made about 29 appearances but uh, the war broke up a lot of that. Second World War broke up a lot of that. So he actually, uh, in total, made about 175 appearances. Um, and he, he later coached the club. I never met the guy, um, but, but he did a lot for it. And uh, it was always kind of brought up uh, within my family. So, you know, very proud to, to, to kind of have that little part of, the, part of the club there, really. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. you know, it, I, I I feel a great affinity with the club. Now, now, does does your family still talk about about your uncle playing for the club, or does that ever does that still come up, or is it kind of just something that you were told when you were when you were younger, and they were trying to get yeah. you to choose Southampton? Oh, they didn't need to. I mean, they didn't need to market it to me. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> uh, I, I I think that when you're down here in, in Hampshire, um, there are only two choices. And even though 50% of my family comes from closer to Portsmouth than Southampton, there was never, there was never any, uh, any choice. I, I was born in Southampton. I was brought up in Southampton. Uh, and I was on the stands in Southampton and it's just part of me. So now do you still get to go to a, a number of matches or because you live in oh. London, it's, it, it makes it more, a little bit more difficult? Uh, I have a membership and I go whenever I can. And, you know, I, I went a fair few times last season. Uh, I went to the Brentford game last week as well. Obviously, the League Cup final. So I, I go to a lot. I go to a lot of games. And if I'm not watching it, I'm listening to it on 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 the radio. So, you know, I kind of get a lot of it. And to be honest as well, even when I can't make the games, uh, some of the... the, 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 the <laughs> Getting entertained and getting kept up to date on Twitter is, is, is a fantastic way of doing it as well. So I use a variety of, of different means of keeping up. But yeah, radio there or just, you know, it, it, if I can find a means of watching it if we're live on, on, on TV. So yeah. I, I, keep, I keep in touch with the club however I can. Now, I had another guy, Tim Marshall, who lives in London on the uh -huh. show uh, a while ago. And I had asked him, do you have a favorite uh, kind of a way – a venue in and around London that you like to, to go to and, and watch the Saints play? Oh, um, that's a really good question. I think that one of my favourite atmospheres I've ever been at is it was uh, going to see us play Leighton Orient uh, a few years ago. I think it was in about 2009 and 2010. Um, that was a lovely little stadium. I think the smaller stadiums, the better. Um, when we went to Brentford last weekend in the stand, that was a fantastic experience and I really miss that. Uh, I know there's a lot of debate about standing versus kind of seated, but uh, it was it was a really wonderful experience just to be able to stand alongside people and just wander around and just, you know, have a, have a bit of a sing. You know, so in terms of away days, I always really enjoyed uh, Late and Orient and uh, Loftus Road, QPR Stadium, mm -hmm. even though it's an absolutely awful stadium. <laughs> it, it's not It's not very nice. Um, 
it's uh, it's a really great place to be. And of course, I always love going to Arsenal because uh, it's so quiet, so you can always hear Arsenal. <laughs> My best friend's a ta- uh, an Arsenal fan, so he's. I'm, I'm going to wind up there at some point, so hopefully it'll be all right. <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah, you'll enjoy it there. Nice, comfortable seats, and everyone's nice and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I, I guess if if we if we kind of take a look at at the blog at Archer's Road End, yes. um, you've been a fan since, since childhood. But where where does the blog come from? What what encouraged you to start writing, or made you want to start writing about the club? Uh, I wanted to start writing about the club because I was incredibly passionate about it. I was I was one of those people who was always, you know, scrolling through Twitter, just seeing so many different talking points and opinions about the club. And I think some of it was, was fair and some of it was incredibly unfair. Um, from my perspective, one of the things that I, I, I looked at was just just um, how we have short fuses and, and, and kind of short memories when it comes to comes to the club where we've been and and where we're where we're going and i think that i wanted to inject a little bit of calm into it that's something that's always been kind of a very big thing for me um have you heard of the the uh, chimp paradox no no well the chimp paradox is is something that i kind of very much buy into and i think it's something that is kind of pretty central to the way i write almost and and and, and what i do um essentially the chimp paradox is that you know, our, our brains evolved in a uh, in a way from being kind of a little peanut-sized thing to this giant brain that we have today. But when it comes to emotional regulation and it comes to anything that's uh, related to passion, uh, whether it's anger or extreme happiness, uh, the little limbic system in our brain is the bit that tends to kick off more than anything else. It's basically a uh, the little nodule right in the right in the centre of your brain, and uh, what happens is uh, you basically you know everything kind of when you get angry or when you lose your temper, it takes over. It takes over the frontal lobe, which is where kind of you know most of your personality is formed, and your parietal uh, parietal uh, element of the brain, which is where you compute and you analyse stuff and then you make decisions. So sometimes this little kind of limbic area just kind of goes nuts and nine times out of ten, that's when, you know, your team scored a goal or you hear that Virgil van Dijk's leaving or you have to listen to uh, a Claude Puel interview. Um, all of those little things, it, it kind of just go all goes nuts and you're like, I can't stand this. And nine times out of ten people are on Twitter. Um, but clubs know this. Uh, clubs don't obviously kind of, you know, may not obviously just read this this stuff about the chimp paradox. But one of the things that they do is they know they want to get you right there. They want to give you that 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 kind of hit. They want to bring the chimp out, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's very easy to do uh, with us as football fans. So what I wanted to do, um, one of the things that, that I kind of work with is that you know I was diagnosed with ADHD back in January and. Uh, one of the things that we have is that, you know, my brain is that it, it doesn't produce enough dopamine. So you're always looking for that little hit. Um, so combine that sort of short fuse limbic um, area of the brain, the, the little chimp going nuts with a lack of dopamine. So you're always looking for that. And it's a big recipe for trouble. So you're just constantly scanning 
their Saints FC news feed and going, what? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, this has happened. Uh, apparently, and everything's going wrong. We're going to be asset stripped. We're going to be in a non-professional league in two years and everything's going to be going incredibly wrong and the club's going to die. Um, and, and you can go through that process all in about a minute and I think sometimes, you know, you could be typing out a message before you've even had a chance to to think about it. So I guess what I wanted to do, what I wanted to try really hard to do was, was, was actually, as an exercise with myself, think about football for a little bit. Take a step back from the club, take a step back from social media, so to speak, and just write something that's 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 taking kind of a reasoned view looking at all of the evidence and looking at all of the knowledge we have and sprinkling a bit of opinion in there nine times out of ten i'm wrong on opinion but you know i'm honest enough i'm honest enough to admit that um because you know you look at all of the agents and supposed experts on twitter um i'd love to get a list of journalists and find out how many transfer rumors that they've they've actually uh as fact and actually see if uh, how what percentage of those actually became a reality because I, I'd be probably betting it's it's less than five percent. But anyway, that's what I do, um, and that's that's why I do it. So I take my time. I don't write anything until I feel real, like I'm really ready to write something. I, I like to take my time and I like to kind of analyze the situation before I really go into it. So I, I guess that the the blog is more. Uh like you said, an exercise for you to kind of wrap your mind around things and kind of put things in perspective than it is to, to get, you know, to get hits on a, on a, on a, on a website. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not doing this to kind of chase any, any, any sort of numbers. Uh, it's purely a, a passion project for me and, and it just, you know, I find it really helpful. Um, I love doing it and you know, it helps me to, to do something creative that, that channels my, you know, my, my love for the club into something creative. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I understand that. I understand that 100%. But, you know, I, I've read through recent posts. I think I went through the last year or so of uh, uh, last season of posts. And, I mean, it it's different than what some of the other things that are out there. So, you know, a bit longer. And because you're covering kind of so much time in there, like, I think sometimes we, we get used to reading just the one or two minute long articles, you know, that are, that are going to churned out and you might read the same thing three or four times in a day because it's got a different title from a different, you know, a different, uh, little writing outlet. But, um, you know, to, to go through and read that, you got to kind of have some understanding of what's some of the things that have happened for the club because you are kind of going over so many different changes and things in time. And I don't know, I really, I really enjoy it. Um, thank you. And what made you decide to name the blog, what you did and how did that come about? Uh, it was just a name that when I when I used to go to the Dell when I was a kid, uh, I always used to see the Arches Road end, and it, it was called the Little Chocolate Box. It, it was always my favourite stand, um, just tiny. Um, you know, it was it, and it kind of encapsulated everything about like a classic old football grounds end, the Arches Road end. Okay. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was just an amazing little area, the Little Chocolate Box. Everyone knew each other. It uh, it was like you were part of a little exclusive club, and uh, that that's something that kind of influenced me in, in in that respect. Now, you I think you mentioned it might have been before we started recording that you you work kind of with social media and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you get to write for your job, or is this uh, is this is this writing something that's that's just purely something you wanted to do because you don't get to do it uh, for your job and things like that? I grew up writing. Um, 
and I've always loved writing. I'm, I'm writing a, a novel at the moment. Um, it's not about football. Um, but yeah, I work in social uh, work in social media. I've handled social media for uh, brands mainly, Ministry of Sound, um, uh, across music and okay. media, Times Educational Supplement, stuff like that. So I've worked across. I've worked with journalists. I've worked with musicians. And at the moment, I'm working in technology. Uh, so this is that's that's kind of the nine to five stuff. This is a, a case for me and a chance for me to really engage with something that I'm, that I'm hugely, hugely passionate about. Um, and yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I understand that 100. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always interested. That's sometimes when I when I have people on the show, it's like that that stuff that I see from them. That's what makes mm-hmm. me want to talk to them. You know, I want, I want to know more about that stuff because I think it's interesting because kind of, I grew up and it's kind of just taught you just, you know, you do your job and you work and, and there were, mm-hmm. you know, there were a few years where I was just miserable because all I did was, was work. And then it was like, you know, mm-hmm. so doing this, I mean, this, the, the podcast takes quite a bit of work, but, uh, yeah. it, I am so much happier, uh, doing it and getting to talk to, to other people and, and all those opinions. So I, I, I do, I do appreciate you doing that. You engage, you know, you engage in in your passions, and I think that it's actually really important because if you don't, uh, you just end up not feeling happy, yeah. and there's nothing worse for you and your family and your friends to be around someone who's not happy because they're not actually embracing, uh, you know, their their, their passions. Um, you know, my my wife's incredibly supportive in in. in in that respect, uh, you know, she knows that I love football. <laughs> she knows that I, I, you know, how much I love football. I might be a little bit down if we've lost heavily or I might be a little bit annoyed if there's something happened in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've learned to take a bit more of a deep breath of that. Uh, once when I went to a, a game when we were really, really bad. Um, this wasn't when we were in League One. This was when we were on our way down. Okay. Um, we were in a championship in the first season. Um it was a game against Preston North End, and uh, we weren't playing fantastically well. But any, any, anyway, um, Danny Dicchio, uh went up to take a free kick just outside the 18-yard box. And Danny Dicchio was never really kind of what you call an amazing player or a free kick specialist. Uh, he was a good player, but you know nothing, no, no great shakes. Um, but he took a free kick, and it was a really pretty tame free kick and Kelvin Davis went down to catch it and it just rolled through his arms it just squirmed through his arms just just trickled over the line and uh, I I stood up and I, I I kicked a hole in the chair in front of me oh man <laughs> uh, and uh, no one was saying it thankfully yeah <laughs> but, but yeah I, I had to sit there for the rest of the game with this 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 kind of <laughs> reminder that I that I was the guy I was the sort of person who kicked a hole in the chair yeah um, a game of football and uh, yeah so and that wasn't a, that wasn't a great game I think it ended in a two two draw but yeah that wasn't that wasn't a classic that was when we had some absolutely awful players playing for us we had some great ones but you know that was that was when we had some real people who didn't seem very interested in playing for the club and we had an ownership who didn't really seem very interested or engaged yeah um it's kind of a a good segue into uh 
talking about the the current ownership. Um, yeah. It, you know, there were a lot of rumors end of the season and even into the summer that we were we were selling or the club was selling that um, the yeah. Libras were going to to sell eighty percent and it was going to be to this this Chinese company and it it was there and then it stopped and then it was back and now I've I think the most recent thing I've read and I could be wrong is that all of the paperwork is kind of done. They're just waiting mm. for the financial transaction. Um, yeah. But, but what's your kind of perspective on that? And what, and what impact do you think it has? I want to talk about the impact you think it has on, on the club and our transfer window and all that stuff. So what, what, what's going on from your perspective? What have you seen uh, from the club in terms of selling? Obviously, I think now we're in a position where there's, there's a desire for, for CAC. I think it comes from a good place. I think that anything that Marcus and CAC have done as a family for us as a football club has, has come from a good place. Um, they put a lot of their personal wealth into Southampton Football Club. And I think when it comes to selling, whether it's selling players or, or selling the, the, the football club, I'd, I'd probably say they've done enough for us that they're kind of entitled to take a little bit back out of that. Um, I don't think, and I think the numbers bear this out, I don't think that they're just selling players and then just, you know, cats just shoving the money in our back pocket and going to Monte Carlo to a casino. I think the money's money's actually reinvested. And I think one of the, the biggest legacies for us as a club and one of the things that I think we should be eternally grateful to them for is not just remembering that they pulled us back from the brink, but investing 50 plus million in this amazing training complex that we have. Our, our training really is state of the art and we have a fantastic building it's, it's, and a fantastic academy we're investing in the right things. I would much rather that we spent money on developing our academy and developing our infrastructure in the club than doing what uh, you know clubs like West Ham do and just going out and just going, oh, well, we've got 50 million to spend this summer. Why don't we just go out and, uh, and uh, buy a goalkeeper who's, who's conceded 64 goals in 32 games? Um, but he's got a big name. And why don't we spend 7 million in January on a on a on a 30, 33 year old who's uh, clearly on the on the wane. Um, the transfer window's nuts, and I can almost see why Cat's looking at this and going, "I need to get out of this. I don't have that that investment to take the club to that level that, that the club that that matches fans. Uh, everyone's ambitious, but I, I think the expectations that uh, of us to to spend a lot of money are, are high and not always justified." Um, right. So I, I, I think it's right that they look to sell, um, and I, I think that it's actually, I think obviously it has impacted the, the, our, our transfer window to a certain extent, um, you know. But I now I can't see anything happening this transfer window in terms of selling. Uh, if I was a potential buyer, I'd be running a mile from this transfer window because it's insane. Yeah, yeah, no, it it is absolutely crazy, and I was kind of uh, looking at all of the transfers of those teams around us, and people have spent a, a lot of money. And you look at what Everton's done so far, and that's just the entire spine of their team has changed, and that's almost that might be too much change. That might be you know these guys got to play together and, and learn to work together, and that might be enough to keep them out of the top six in and of itself, you know? Um, yeah. And then you got West Ham who are out there spending money, and it's like, man, you know you. You just spend a, a crap load of money, and, and part of it, I think, is they got to fill that stadium. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a bit, it's a, it's a, it's a big stadium, and uh, you know, I, I kind of travel past it from time to time. 
they've got a fantastic fan base, but they're they're going to they're going to struggle to struggle to fill that, and I, I think they're going about it in the wrong way. I think people just want to see committed players. I don't think people just want to see big players. Right. Do you think that the the lack of a sale or the even the, just the rumor of a sale is kind of limiting our progress um, at all, or do you think that we still have the players in our academy and within yeah. the club, and that we are, you know? Generally, I think what some people get frustrated by is that we see all these big name players going for semi ridiculous prices and sometimes decent prices, but we see them yeah. going elsewhere, and we never seem to be linked with with the big move. We always seem to be linked with some guy out of the f- second division in France that nobody's ever heard of. Um, I don't know. Do you think that we we still have enough in the tank to be able to to, to do that and continue to improve? Oh, hundred percent. I think that we've got a great squad at the moment, um, as it is, and I think a couple of additions would be handy but I, I, I think that there's if you buy a player at their very peak for a lot of money uh, there's only one way that player's going to go that player's not going to go to another peak that that player's going to be you know you'll, you'll get two or three seasons out of them at the most maybe even kind of you know a couple of seasons at the least before their, their form starts to dip and they, they start to make less of an impact and I think that our strategy of of buying players uh, with potential and turning them into the finished product, I think it benefits the players and I think it benefits the club because it, it allows us to, and I think we have to be realistic about this, it allows us to you know, stay competitive. Selling players allows us to stay competitive. You see a lot of those starting 11 memes of if Southampton kept all their best players, mm-hmm. uh, where would they be now? And, and everyone would be like, wow, that's a Champions League club. Uh, that's a league-winning club. But people forget that if you wouldn't have sold Adam Lallana, we wouldn't have got Sadio Mane. Right. Um, you know, if we wouldn't have missed out on Toby Alderweireld, we might not have got Virgil van Dijk and, uh, and, and, and so on and, and, and so forth, you know, swapping Lambert for, for Pella and all, all of that sort of stuff. It, you know, trading, it, and trading and buying and selling is a part of the club. And I think it's one that we've got to be realistic about. If you're going to have a player, protect them with a long contract. And, uh, you know, and I think that the realism that sets in for fans, or I think it's one thing that we're going to have to accept, is that unless you are Barcelona, unless you are Manchester United, unless you are an absolutely huge club, if a genuinely exceptional talent joins you, you you've got them for two seasons. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Because... I, you know, even down to players in, in you know, our, our younger players like Jake Hesketh, you know, signing extended contracts. I think if you probably asked Jake Hesketh, in all honesty, he wouldn't be sitting there going, I'm going to spend my whole career with Southampton. Right. Uh, I, I, I don't, it, football doesn't work like that. They look at, they're professionals and they look at it as a career. And yes, there are better ways to go about leaving clubs, which we cover when we talk about VVD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that we have to accept if we get a top, top player, which is fairly often, we have to kind of accept that they'll be with us one or two seasons, for a couple of seasons at the most, before they go elsewhere. And even in the case with VVD, with uh, him going to Liverpool, mm-hmm. uh, even that will be a stepping stone for him if he does go. Because, you know, he'll be looking at that and going, well, if I do well at Liverpool, uh, back in the Champions League, I'll be able to get a move to Madrid. I'll be able to get a move to Barcelona. I'll be able to get a move to, uh, no offense, Liverpool, but a, a really, really big club. I, I agree. And 
I, I would love to see him go play at a club like that, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, mm. So just I, I ask a couple more questions about about the ownership. What are what risks are out there if the sale of the club does go through, whether it be later this season or next next transfer? What mm. uh, you know, have you any experience kind of seeing other clubs be sold and, and having things that that don't kind of go well for them? Well, we've had it had it here. We we had it when Rupert Lowe, who wasn't wasn't a great chairman, although he should always be. You know, we should bear in mind that he's the reason we've got St Mary's Stadium. Uh, when he sold it to a consortium with Michael Wilde uh, and Leon Crouch, this was back in I think about two thousand and two thousand and four, two thousand and five. The club just descended into a mess of infighting, and there was money that wasn't there was money that they said was available that then wasn't available, and then you realised that there was actually no backing to to uh, Wild and Crouch, and then they started, started fighting, um, and it just turned into an absolutely huge mess, and then Rupert Lowe kind of came back in and scooped everything back up again, and uh, the, the, the club continued to decline. So we've seen the impact of bad ownership here um, at Southampton. I, I think that a lot, of, a lot of the older fans will look at new ownership and really want to know that due diligence has been done on them. So the Lander Group, um, you know, the, the purchase is being handled by UBS, I understand, um, you know, a big enterprise bank. And I think that, it's, that, that's, that gives me slightly more uh, heart that things are going, going about it. You know, we're going about it in the right way. Okay. Um, but I can completely understand why people are kind of going, oh, well, do they have the money to back this up? And I think that's completely fair. And that's what the due diligence uh processes it is in place for um and it should also be pointed out that a lot of clubs uh, are kind of uh, financed and owned in the manner that lander are going to be you know would potentially be coming into you know money is raised from certain sources money is 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 you know cash is pretty liquid mm-hmm. in that in that respect so there'll be multiple kind of fundraisers putting in money at different times but I can understand completely why fans are kind of slightly, slightly reticent because we're we're so used to having a, you know a private owner who has put their own money into the club and it's backed up. Um, so I can understand that. And also looking at clubs like United, if United spend a couple more seasons outside the Champions League, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Right. So your gut feeling is kind of that we're not selling this summer. It's just it's gone on kind of too too long. Yeah, I think it's from Lander's perspective as well. I think they're looking at the transfer market and go, well, why would we want to get involved in this transfer market? It's insane. Yeah, and they're <laughs> they're going to be expected if they do purchase the club to come in and spend money immediately. I think that's what that's what I've gathered, and I could be I could be yeah. misreading some stuff, but that's kind of what I've seen. So yeah, yeah, and I think to, for, further further to that point, I think we're this will be. I think we're reaching the absolute peak transfer madness. I don't think that next summer will be as bad as this. I think that you're looking at this, this is fueled by television money. Uh-huh. And once the television money and, you know, the rights money, once the, the cost starts to outweigh the benefit for these the, for the TV companies and, and, and the companies all around the world who invest in, in, in football, they start to lower the, lower the amount they're willing to invest in it. So, you know, the Premier League has a product that is, has a very high stock at the moment. The football mm-hmm. stock is very high. But at the moment, they realise that they're investing more money than, than, than the benefit that they're actually getting for it. You know, streaming is taking a huge chunk out of TV right. revenue, um, you know, Fans are getting their information and, and, and their football from 
different sources, they're, they're less trustworthy of, of kind of the marketing and, and, and the brand perspective of things. I think we've seen the peak of it this summer and uh, I don't think it'll be the same after that. I think we're in for a period of uh, normalization. All right. Well, it seems like every team has broken their club record transfer fee within the last yeah. year, year and a half, and, and it's only getting worse. If, you know, Neymar yeah, yeah. goes for however many million. Kylian Mbappe and, you know, the, the fact that he could potentially be worth £161 million, someone who's who's only played really kind of, you know, 14 proper professional games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, kind, of, kind of looking at our transfer window, I woke up Friday morning and I have a, I have a now a sick obsession we were talking about earlier. <laughs> I wake up and the first thing I do is is shut my alarm off and then look at Twitter. And that's just maybe the most unhealthy thing I can do. Because when I got up on Friday morning... Twitter was having a meltdown. Um, yeah. Somebody had posted in a, in a forum that, you know, uh, Van Dyke to Liverpool was done and everyone, and then, you, you know, you try to verify it, but everybody's just kind of going off that one point um, uh-huh. and it's just getting re kind of recycled over and over and over. And sometimes our club isn't very open about our transfer business. And, and then, uh, you know, kind of, do you think maybe the the tight lipped approach of our club kind of, allowed that to go on for a little too long or do you think the club stepped in at an appropriate time and kind of uh had that article come out uh that, that they weren't that he wasn't going anywhere or how, what what's your what's your view on that well uh, for any article that jeremy wilson actually puts out into the public domain that, re- that is relating to southampton football club it's essentially been typed by les reed um or right after les reed has put the phone down to him He's a very well-connected journalist, and he's one that, you know, you look at uh, his stories, they're always uh, incredibly reliable. And, yeah, I mean, it, everything went into meltdown off, off of the back of, of, of one rumour in, in a forum with a, with a guy who, who has, you know, a, a fairly decent hit rate, but I would imagine that a lot of it is guesswork. Um, I think that the club's damned if it doesn't, it's damned if it doesn't. If you are a club that does all of its business, like Liverpool um, and like Tottenham, if you do all of and um, if you do all of your business out in the open, you know you'll be hammered for it. If we started talking about players that we're interested in, you can guarantee that another five or ten million will be slapped on that price tag. Mm-hmm. Um, and with regards to you know Virgil Van Dijk, if you know. If we sell him and when we sell him, whether it's this window or next summer, you can guarantee that the prices will go up. So I think that there's, there's, you know, yes, it's annoying when the club doesn't, you know, come out and quash every rumor. But I can understand the logic behind it because if you do that, then Les Reed and Walter Frost Wilson won't actually have any time to invest in finding good players for us. They right. spend most of the time on the phone to journalists saying, no, so and so is not for sale, and so on and so forth. Now, do you think that these types of outbursts that we saw on Friday, do you think that does any long-term damage to the relationship between the club and the fans, even though there maybe really isn't a whole lot of, uh, of, of substance there? That, that's a really good question. I, I think that with some fans, yes. With others, no. I know that sounds like you're kind of sitting on the fence, but some fans would like us to be a club that goes out, says, we're going to sign so-and-so, let's chuck a load of money at it. And, you know, we're going to make a really big deal out of everything. We're going to brief the press. And 
you know, and try and unsettle players. I think people would like that. I think some people would like that. But I think it's it's the approach that that people have towards football. Some people see it as kind of some game where if you spend the most money, you'll win. Some people see it's a if you buy smartly and develop players, you know, you, you, you'll you'll have a better chance of it. So I, I think it comes down to mentality and just different viewpoints ultimately. Some people will naturally always be impatient. Some people will will kind of naturally always take the long view. Um, social media demands immediate response and you know immediate uh, succor. So, with regards to that, you know I, I think that it's destroyed the news cycle. It's destroyed the way that clubs can actually kind of communicate with fans. In some ways, it's been much better. Um, and in some ways, it's a lot worse because, you know, if they're constantly needing to put out statements about unverified information, then it actually detracts from them actually doing their job. Um, right. Like I said, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. And whenever literally pops up anyway to say, yeah, we're planning on a quiet summer, everyone's like, no, you're not going to have that. No one believes you. <laughs> So, so you know, I don't know what the guy, the, you know, what the guy can do really. Right. Um, you, you know, I I think he's done a fantastic job. He's been with us for a very long time, and uh, I, I think that lots of people will go, oh well, you know, he, he he sells our best players, but guy's not a miracle worker. You know, um, if we were able to keep hold of these players and we were able to just you know incrementally increase their salaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the way that other clubs can, you think that he wouldn't do that? I think he probably would do. Um, right. So, you know, I just think we've kind of got to give the guy a break. He's operating uh, underneath, you know, owners, and he's he's operating within financial constraints. And I think that we have to kind of respect that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, kind of one more question before we yeah. move on and talk about the the match that was played uh, this, this weekend. You know, you work with social media quite a bit. In, in terms of gauging fan happiness or, or mm-hmm. satisfaction, um, how difficult is that to do via social media? You know, because sometimes on social media, I think it's the people who who type the most and who can yeah. use all caps and use the hashtag a ton, you know, that, that kind of set the tone. And sometimes, you know, there are a lot of people on Twitter have, you know, a thousand or maybe 2000 followers, but St. Mary's seats a lot more than that, you know. Um, so, so do you think that it's a, it's an appropriate kind of representation of the fan base, uh, that we, that we see on Twitter or Facebook? No, I don't. I I think it's amplified. Um, and I I think it's a, it's a bit of a bubble. I I think that what you have to look at is you have to look at what's happening on the pitch and then you have to look at what's happening in the stands. That's the best, that's, that's the best representation. Look at the season ticket holders. Are they happy? At some point last season, there was a huge disconnect between Claude Puel and the fans. I mean, I think we had that really at the start of the season because, you know, you look at the guy and, and he, he never really got a song. I think that's actually a really important point. If, if, you're, a, if you're a Southampton manager and people aren't singing your name uh, from, <laughs> you know, from October uh, onwards and you've had a fair crack of the whip, I, I don't think you're long for the job, personally. Okay. Um and uh, so I think once the fans started seeing this this kind of frustrating style of play and uh, everything like that, it kind of boiled over into social media and got amplified. 
yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's the it's it's the be all and end all. I think the club has to take a dispassionate view. I think it has to look at what's going on on the pitch and acknowledge uh, the supporters' frustrations if they see it in the ground. Um, they see what the play how the players are reacting. I think the you know there are so many different variables. If you look at purely at social media, the club would just always be you know in an absolute crisis and and. We're far from that. I actually think we've had a very good transfer window. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, moving on to to the match from yesterday. Granted, it was a friendly. Yeah. We came away with a three 0 win, and kind of my opinion of of the friendlies, it's never really about the score. I, I don't like to lose, no. but um, I think there are a lot more important things that go on. Um, I didn't have a chance to watch it because I was I was in the car and I was trying to stream it, but kept going through mountain passes and and that stuff. But what did what did you make uh, of the match overall? It was typical preseason fair. Um, San Etienne are a lot further ahead in their preparations than we are by about a week. I think it's really good that we're playing teams who are a week ahead in their preparations because it means that the players are really given a good fitness workout. Um, it, you know, it was a game where, you know, it's paid at walking pace a lot of the time. And, uh, but there were kind of lots of little nuggets to be, to be impressed by. I like the fact that we're going back to kind of pressing teams. Mm-hmm. And I, I was also, you know, really happy with the fact that we seem to be converting the stuff that we're putting into the box now. Um, a lot was made of the crosses uh, last season. People going, we put so many balls into the box. Why are we not converting them? Um, I think that the big reason is is that we were putting all these balls into the box, but there was no follow up once the strikers, you know, missed their chance. Now we're pressing teams. Now the midfield is pressing up into the box, right. and the whole team is pressing as a unit. When those balls are put into the box it's more likely that a midfielder will be on hand as, as Prousey was or another player will be on hand to mop up a shot if our, our, our strikers don't uh, don't convert an opportunity. Right. Um, really impressed with that target yesterday. He deserves a lot of credit for the two two assists. Um, you know, I did get much game time last season through injury, but I, I, I think it, you know, seeing him as, as, as a useful part of the squad is, is, is fantastic and, you know, as a as a local boy, it's good to see him uh, in the in the team. Uh, James Wall Prowse took his goal very well, and uh, but I was really impressed once again with with Gabbiadini's finish. Um, you know, it's not spectacular, but what I love about watching him is his movement. Right. He's he's such a clever player, but he but in a very direct way, and that's something that you know he's not a back to goal player. He's very much a forward-thinking striker. I know mm-hmm. that sounds like a bit of a funny thing to say, but he's always looking for the space in between the defenders, always looking for it, and he attacks it. And this goal was very similar to, uh, in style to a lot of the goals he scored. Uh, the disallowed one in the League Cup final, um, the one he did score in the, the, the first one he did score in the League Cup final, mm-hmm. uh, the goal he scored against Sunderland, which kind of went in, bumbled off his shoulder. But in all of those goals, he's in between. He's in between the defenders. He's giving them something to do, and he just ghosts in there. And I think that's going to be incredibly valuable for us. Yeah. The, this season, he offers a very different option to to Charlie Austin, who's more of an out and out kind of, you know, uh, a, a striker. Right. is incredibly clever, and I, th- I think that that's that's going to do very well for us this season. Now. 
both of them were on the pitch yesterday at the same time. And oh. I, as I was getting ready to leave, <clears throat> I was looking at the, at the lineup and kind of wondering who's going to play where, you know, is it a, is it going to be a four, four, two? Is it going to be some sort of a four, three, three, or I think that we came out in kind of a four, two, three, one, but mm. the highlights didn't really show me kind of where everybody was playing. So what did you think about the interplay between those two or, or how they played with each other on the pitch? Um, I think it gave uh, Gabby Adini a little bit more time to kind of drop off and do his drifting thing. I think that Austin's very much a focal point um, sort of sort of striker. I think it just allows I think it just allows more movement. You know, Pellegrino was looking at his options and just kind of seeing how they play together. So, yeah, I, I think it, I think it was I think it was it was interesting. But the most interesting thing for me was really our, our wide plays got a lot better. Uh, Jeremy Page struggles with his defending and his short passing, but he's very dynamic and very good at putting crosses into the box. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's something, you know, and I guess that shows that he was originally a midfielder. Right. Um, I mean, his short passing is actually pretty atrocious, but uh, yeah, his his uh, crosses into the box are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, when you try to convert a player like that to to play fullback there there can be uh, some definite defensive lapses but i guess the, the the modern fullback is it's supposed to get forward so much that sometimes we can overlook that a little bit but sure sure um you know you got guys like ryan Bertrand who are just so good at doing both both of those and and as much as i hate kyle walker um mm-hmm. i think he's just a just a bad person um and maybe that's <laughs> that's harsh but um he is so good at doing that he he epitomizes the kind of modern fullback um, when you can watch guys like that and then watch somebody who doesn't quite have both parts of the game, I think it, I think it becomes more and more exposed and, um, yeah. but hopefully, like, like you said, you were talking about target, hopefully he can, uh, continue to, to improve. Cause he took a lot of, uh, a lot of people were saying he, well, he's not ready. He's not, he's not good enough. Um, uh, I don't know. Give him some time. He's, he's definitely not fast, but he, I think he can get the job done. No one, no one will ever be good enough until they play a few games. That's true. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you've just got to be patient with some players, and, and that's the same with Buffal. I think that some of the, the stick that Buffal got last season was, I think, unjustified. When you have a creative player, you have to allow them to make mistakes. Um, you know, because nine times out of ten, with a creative player, he'll attempt something, and uh, it won't necessarily come off. But that one time that it does come off, that's when you get a little bit of magic. Right. And uh, I think you have to be patient with that. Him. I think that we weren't necessarily as patient with him. He was trying things, he was getting frustrated, and he was an attacking player playing in a conservative team last season. So I think we'll see a lot more of, of Buffal this season. Uh, so, All right. yeah. All right. Um, let's let's kind of move on. we got a, a few questions we can answer from um, some of the listeners, and uh, and then we'll kind of uh, wrap it up here. But um, right. Dan, who is at Holy Hoiberg, asked, if you had to give our current transfer rating uh, – a, a rating out of ten, a current transfer window rating out of ten. What would you? How would you rate it? I think it, I think I think it's probably a solid seven. You know, we haven't sold any of our crown jewels. I think Rodriguez wasn't the same player when he came back from injury. Um, so I think fourteen million is incredibly good business for him, mm-hmm. um, and it gives him a fresh start. Really, uh, psychologically, I, I think it couldn't have been good for him to be at the club. Uh, Whilst people kind of would look at him and go, well, he's not the, the Rodriguez that, you know, we bought essentially. Um, so I think 14 million was really good. 
Bednar X one for the future. I think we might bring in a couple more players. But I think retention, if we get to the end of the window and we've, we've you know, retained some players, I think that that, 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 would be, that would be good and that would elevate it to an eight for me. A couple more players and, and, and some retention, that would be good. I think we'd be flying then. All right. All right. Uh, speaking of retention, uh, would you rather sell Virgil van Dijk and reinvest the money in the squad, or would you rather force him to stay if he doesn't want to be here? Uh, I don't think forcing a player to stay if they're clearly going to uh, kick off is is very beneficial. But what I will say is that if we do sell, let's get the highest price possible for him and reinvest smartly. If we don't, which is looking like we probably won't, um, although I'm prepared to be wrong on that, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that he'll knuckle down. There's too much for Van Dijk to lose through having a tantrum. Right. Um, it's too much for him to lose. It's World Cup year, uh-huh. um, and teams look at attitude as well as as well as uh, quality. And if you have a player who's sulking, they look at it, and even someone like Liverpool will look at it and go, "Well, if we if we want to sign him, and we do sign him, and then in a season and a half's time, Real Madrid come in for him or Barcelona come in for him, is he just going to go? Oh, I'm not playing anymore. Right. So they look at it like that, and. Uh, I think that we get one more. Uh, I hope we get one more season out of him. Um, but if not, and if he's still this time next week, he's still agitating and he's not training properly. That's when I think we we kind of you know say okay, let, let's 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 call it a day. Um, so so we'll see. Uh, you can't force an unhappy player to stay. It's bad for the club. And I think Pellegrino did did the right move, made the right move um, by kind of letting him train on his own this week. I'm sure he had a few meetings with Les Reed, had some conversations, and I think we'll get one more season out of him. Yeah, I can't fault the way management has handled this the situation. Yeah. I think they've they were up clear or up front with the fans and clear with the fans about the their stance on selling him. But I really exactly. I really do think the player um you know, he has he has some power here. That I think that more of the power lies with the player than with the club in terms of getting him to to stay here or not, you know? Um yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we can but force him. We can force him to stay, but uh, really, I, nobody wants to see Van Dyke sit in, in the reserves, or, or especially given he's our captain and all that stuff. But I think, like you said, the World Cup and all that stuff, it makes it so he's got to to go out and play this year because he needs to put himself on the stage in the league and then again in the World Cup, and then he can get a move to mm-hmm. pretty much wherever he wants. I think he is that good. So totally, um, totally, one hundred percent. One last question here from from Jim, um, who is at Simply Romeo. What's your predicted formation and lineup for Swansea, uh, first game of the season? Uh, predicted formation, same as yesterday. Uh, but I, I and really, I think apart from Redmond coming in, and uh, you know Bertrand and, and Van Dijk, hopefully if he's he's mentally ready, um, we won't see that much difference. I think that that's that's you know we're, they're experimenting with. The uh, playing staff, but they're not experimenting too much with with the shape. I think a pedigree, uh, you know, has got his strategy and he's got his tactics kind of there. He's communicating with those players and he's he's wanting to be consistent with it. I think that the shape we're seeing now will be similar to the shape that we see on opening day. All right, which which centre back do you think makes way for Van Dyke, Stevens or Yoshida? Uh, I would probably say that's a tough one. Um, Hart says 
uh, I'd like to see Yoshida in there, but my head would say Stevenson Van Dyke because Stevens is Stevens reminds me of Klaus Lundekvam in terms of he's a fantastic ball playing centre back, and he'll, he'll go on to be a very 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 good player. Yeah. So that that would be our best centre back pairing. I, I think so. Um, and and I'm with you there with the heart saying Yoshida. Like I want to see him play, but. I think the best thing for the club in the long term is to have Stevens develop alongside somebody like Van Dyke for a year and then be the, mm-hmm. the stability there, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, like you said, I think, I think Cedric will come in. I'm interested in what's going to happen with Steven Davis playing next to, to Romeo, who's, you know, is, I wonder, it seems like there's a little bit more competition out wide, especially if Buffal is going to play a little bit better. So maybe Ward Prowse has to has to push back inside or or, or something like that. But I, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see how it all kind of pans out. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But, but yeah, but I'm 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 looking forward to it. Um, and and I guess what do you think the atmosphere will be will be like when we when we play at home our first home game? I think better. I think it's going to be a better atmosphere. I think that the frustrations were very apparent um, towards the end of the last season. And uh, I think that we're going to see kind of a fresh start. So I think we'll see total backing and, you know, a bit more patience. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you. Well, Ben, um, do you have anything else you'd like to kind of say before we, we wrap this up? No, thank you very much for having me on. I've, I've had a great time. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I, I appreciate you, uh, you you putting up with the the, the time difference. And and I'd like to encourage anybody uh, listening to to check out uh, the Archers Road End. Give them a follow on Twitter at Archers Road End and um, vi- visit the new Facebook page and, and the blog. And the links to all those things are in the show notes. And, and love to have you on again uh, at some Thank point, you. Ben, if that, that's all right. Um, yeah. And and I just thanks for thanks for just giving me your time. Oh, thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> And once again, that was Ben Hernandez Stroud. You can find Ben on Twitter at Archers Road End. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Archers Road End. And you can follow his blog at archersroad.wordpress.com. The links to all of those are in the show notes. And we do appreciate you checking them out, uh, giving them a like, giving them feedback. That's what we all want. And uh, this show is also on Twitter at SFCDELL underscore IVERY and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFCDelivery. There's no underscore in the Facebook address. And follow along, stay up to date with all the, all the news. If you haven't subscribed to a feed yet, you only listen to the show when you see it or whatever, uh, you can subscribe to the feed in iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, uh, pretty much wherever else you get your podcast. And as of now, um, on SoundCloud and YouTube as well. So links to those are in the show notes. Choose the one that works best for you. Subscribe. Be sure that you don't miss an episode and you will get a new episode each and every Tuesday. And uh, it's a lot of fun to do. And I hope that you enjoy listening. And I thank you very much uh, for doing that. I also like to thank the fans who sent in questions. Um, please don't be shy. Send in your question each and every week. We will do our best, uh, to answer them. Sometimes there's so many that we can't get to them all. Sometimes there's only a few and we, we can get to them for sure. So, uh, send them in. We'll do our best. We'll have some fun with them. And, uh, yeah, it's a good way to interact for me to interact with you. And I really do, um, enjoy that. If you have been listening to the show and you're enjoying it, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, by doing that, it helps other people find out about the show. It helps push the show further up the charts and helps more people get exposed to the show. So we always do appreciate those. Um, and we'll be back next week. As always, uh, we'll have Ewan Campbell, who uh, you may remember Ewan from the Ugly Inside season and review panel they did last year. He was on the panel 
and he's going to join us to talk just about the team. We'll look back on the two preseason games that we'll do to finish up our preseason, and we'll look ahead to uh, our opening day match against Swansea. So I'm getting excited. I think everybody else is getting excited. So hopefully uh, we have some good things to talk about and hopefully we'll get off to a positive start um, this year. So um, before we go, we'd like to thank Matt from the We Are Southampton page on Instagram for uh, all the work he's done for us. He's done the logo. He's been a guest. He has given me lots and lots of feedback. So special thanks to Matt from the We Are Southampton page. And for match day edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out We Are Southampton on Instagram. And that pretty much does it for this week. So once again, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for the feedback. We do appreciate it. And until next time, remember that together we march on.